Praise God. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So tonight, this is our continuation of the series, The Lessons from the Seven Churches. This is part two of our study of Laodicea. Let's put our Bibles down and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Let's pray that He would talk to our hearts. Would you do that? Would you join me right now in prayer, Lord? you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's praise Him together, everyone, as we, as we prepare to enter into the Word of the Lord. Let's praise Him one more time. Let's praise Him one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me try to do a very, very brief review because I have only a few moments left tonight. And so let me give you just a brief review of some of the things we discussed in our last lesson. We talked to you about the history of Laodicea. And really, to understand this letter, you have to know a little bit of the history of this city and what was going on at this time. Laodicea was well known in the ancient world for its wealth. It was among the wealthiest of all cities. In fact, we, we talked about in our last lesson how that even after an earthquake and the entire city was devastated, Rome tried to step in and offer them assistance to rebuild. 
But Laodicea was so wealthy, so rich, that they told Rome, we don't need your help. We can afford to rebuild our own city. Even after these devastating losses, we've still got enough stored up. We can take care of ourselves. And I want to say to you, as I've said so many times throughout these lessons, that if we're not careful, the attitude of the city in which we are planted will become the attitude of the Christians in that church. If we're not careful, we adopt their mindset. And I, I'm just telling you now, I'm telling you now that Laodicea had adopted that mindset. The city had the idea and the concept, we don't need anybody, we are self-sufficient. And the members of the church had the very same attitude, even when it came to God. They didn't feel like they needed God. They felt like they could do it on their own. Now, they wouldn't admit that, and they didn't see it that way. But God let them know as he spoke to them that that was indeed their attitude. Laodicea was, as I said, a very wealthy city. They did have one major weakness. There was no real strong uh, water supply to Laodicea. And so they had to pipe water from neighboring cities. And archaeologists discovered a very intricate, uh, intricate uh, aqueduct system that uh, brought water to Laodicea. Now, exactly where it came from, we're not certain. And different theologians, different historians have differing ideas as to where this water may have come from. There are those who claim that the water came from two neighboring cities, one of those being the city of Hierapolis, the other the city of Colossae. If this is true, the interesting thing about it, as we pointed out to you last time, is that Hierapolis was known for its hot springs where people would go to bathe and be healed. Uh, the regenerative and rejuvenative power of those natural hot springs of water brought healing to many bodies. It was a natural thing. And so they had Hierapolis on one side with these boiling, bubbling hot springs. And then they had the city of Colossae on the other side that was known for its cool, sparkling, clear, refreshing drinking water. So on one side, you've got hot water. On the other side, you've got cold and there are those historians who believe that Laodicea had developed this aqueduct that would pull from both sources. But what happened was when they met in the middle, the cool water would then cause the heat to go from the hot. And the hot water would, would get rid of the coolness of Colossae's spring. And what ended up flowing into Laodicea was a tepid, lukewarm water. It was not good for healing, and it was not good for drinking without some assistance. 
It either had to be heated up or in some way cooled down. But as they possessed it, it was of no value. Now, Laodicea, as I said, was situated between Hierapolis and Colossae. These were well-known cities as well, but Laodicea was the better known of those and was obviously the more wealthy. We don't know much about who founded the church at Laodicea. The Bible doesn't tell us. There are those, we pointed out to you, there are those who believe that it was Epaphras, one of Paul's disciples that started the church. They've got some scriptures that they look at, scriptures which don't convince me one way or the other. They don't come right out and state that Epaphras founded the church. The scriptures do show us that Epaphras carried a burden for Laodicea, but he also carried a burden for Hierapolis and Colossae and prayed for them and did what he could to help them. We don't know who founded the church. I tend to think it was the Apostle Paul just because the Bible does tell us that he wrote letters to Laodicea and it was really unlike Paul to be writing letters to churches that he did not found himself. And so, we don't know. We don't know for sure. It's possible we don't know, but it's really irrelevant. We do know that Paul wrote a letter to Laodicea. We don't have a copy of that letter. And I believe that anything we don't have, in fact, somebody wrote to me this week, said, did you know there are, there are uh, lost books of the Bible? Well, first of all, if they're really lost, how do we know they're out there? But I will tell you this, whatever you might find, I believe we have everything God wants us to have. I don't think that we're going to uncover or discover some book or some chapter that's going to change anything that's written in the Word of God because it's forever settled in heaven. And none of the scriptures we have now contradict one another. So if they've got some other chapter that contradicts what's here, I don't believe their chapter anyhow. So we don't, we don't get worried about that. Now, one of the things that we do know and we talked about last time, and I've really got to hurry through this uh, review, is what the name means. And that's been significant with every one of these churches that we've dealt with. The last time we talked about Philadelphia, it's a compound Greek word that means brotherly love. We talked about the great promises that God gave to that church that was a church of brotherly love. It's not a coincidence, it's not an accident that this great promise of an open door would come to a church whose very name meant brotherly love. Now, it's also not an accident that the judgment of God was hovering over a church whose name meant the judgment of the people or the opinion of the people or the rights of the people. Laodicea, it seems, from all that we can read and determine, had developed a form of church governance and church government whereby the people ruled everything that went on. Much like a lot of the church world today, They've developed certain boards that tell the preacher what he can and cannot preach. These boards control everything about the church. The people rule the church. That's not the plan of God. And hear me again, it's not an accident that the greatest judgment declared 
to any of these churches was declared to the church whose name means the people's rights. That doesn't mean that God gives to the ministry the ability to become a Lord over them or to abuse them. For the ministry must always remember we are nothing but under shepherds. Jesus is the great shepherd. It's not our flock, it's His. Well, praise God. Amen, amen. So that's kind of where we ended last time. So let us, let us look at the letter itself. Let us break it down. We'll take as many verses as we can in the next uh, 15 to 20 minutes, which won't be many, but we'll take what we can while we can. Let's start here. Revelation chapter 3. Open your Bibles. Revelation chapter 3. We're beginning with verse 14. And as we've done with each of these letters, we're going to go verse by verse. We're going to see what the Lord will have to say to us in this letter to the Laodiceans. Uh, by the way, I, I, I want to also just mention to you, we brought this up last time. I would really encourage you to go back and hear last, uh, the last lesson if you haven't. But it is interesting that God addresses this church differently than He does any of the other churches. In Ephesus, He says to the church that uh, the church of Ephesus, many Greek translations actually say the church in Ephesus, the rest of the five churches, it's always the church in Sardis, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamos. But to this church, it's not, I, God did not identify them as the church in their city, but He identified them as the church of the Laodiceans, the church that belonged to the people. He was once again letting them know, I don't approve of the way you're running things. God was saying, this is not my church in your city. This is your church. You've made it yours. You control it the way you want it to be. You do it the way you want it done. You call the shots. You set the rules. I'm out of the picture here. And you can read it. It's the only one that he identified as the church of the people, the Laodiceans, not Laodicea, but Laodiceans. It's the only church he identified that way. All right, now let's move on. Revelation 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These sayings saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I don't have time to get off on other subjects. I mentioned this uh, last time uh, that even though Laodicea had their own church structure that they followed, when God addressed them, He did not address, He didn't say to John, write this letter to the people. He didn't say write it to the Laodiceans. He said, write to the angel or the messenger of the church. Though the people didn't want to follow God's chain of command, God would not violate what He had established. And even God Himself did not speak directly to the people as much as He was upset with their lifestyle, as much as He was angry with the things they had done. As much as it made, the, made him sick 
that they were in the spiritual condition they were in. God still did not talk directly to them. God said, I've got a message, but it's going to go through the messenger of the church. I'm going to give this message to the angel. The Greek word is angelos. It's an unfortunate way to translate it here uh, in the King James. The, the Greek word angelos, it can be translated angel, but it literally simply means messenger. So he said, I want you to write to the messenger. If the people are going to hear from me, they're going to hear through the messenger I have put over them. Well, praise God. Let me just say this, church. Let me say this. And you know I practice this in my own life. Every one of us need a man of God in our life. I have a pastor. He knows I am his pastor. In fact, some time back he heard a rumor. And I I talked to the church about it. Uh, Some of you may not remember. It's been probably a year or so ago now. Uh, I know Brother Goff will remember this. Um, but, but my pastor called me because he'd heard a rumor that I was resigning. And he'd even heard who I was turning the church over to. And he called me and he said, I hate to even ask you, but he said, I'm getting so many stories on this that I've got to just ask you point blank so I can tell them I talk to you. And I, I said to him, I said, Bishop, look, if that was going to happen, you'd be the first one to know. He said, I know that. Thank God he knows that. Thank God he's got confidence in that. He said, the only reason I'm asking is so I can tell the people that I asked you directly. I'm going to tell you, we need a man of God in our life. And I can't tell you how many times in my life when I was in a situation where I needed something from God that God spoke to the messenger he had put in my life. At one of the darkest moments in my life, one of my deepest sorrows, one of the most difficult things I ever went through, I had walked into my office. I was here alone. Nobody knew where I was. I didn't tell anybody where I was headed. I felt low. I was as low as a man could possibly get. You say, preacher, you mean you get that way? Yeah, I've been that way before. I've walked through some very, very dark valleys. I've walked through some very difficult situations. And I've found myself in a position that I, I was so low. I, I was ready not to quit living for God. But I, I will tell you, I was entertaining thoughts of just resigning the church and walking away. And just trying to serve God in some other way. I was that low. I was that far down. I didn't say anything to anybody. I didn't call. But I'm telling you, when I walked in my office, I did not even get set down until the phone rang. And honestly, in my state of mind, I said, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not in a frame of mind to discuss anything with anybody. I can't help anybody right now. I need help. But the phone rang, and I said, I can't refuse to answer. I've got to answer. Somebody may need me. I don't know what I'm going to tell them, but I've got to answer. I walked over and picked up the phone, and on the other end of the line was my man of God. And he said, Brother Riggin, I am in Florida right now. He said, I just walked into my hotel room, but the 
Holy Ghost said I needed to call you. He said I want you to listen to what the Holy Ghost has to say to you right now. And as he talked, he meant prophecy poured from his mouth and healing flowed into my soul. I felt encouragement and strength. I'm going to tell you, I could have prayed all day and all night and not gotten what I got that day when God spoke to my messenger. We need a messenger in our life. We need a man of God to whom we are accountable. A man of God to whom we answer. A man of God who knows us in our weakness. We need that. Because if God's going to give a message to the church, it's going to come through the andalas. Going to come through the messenger. And so it was, even in Laodicea's backslidden condition, God spoke to the messenger. And this is what he said He said, Write these things, saith the Amen. I love that. What a way for him to identify himself. Amen means so be it. Did you know that? Did you know that when you're shouting amen, you're agreeing with what has been said? When you shout amen, you are stating publicly your agreement to what has just been said. And that's important. It's really our verbal signature to God's contract. I, I, I may not get any further than verse 14 tonight. I probably won't. But there's so much in this verse. Listen, when God makes a promise, when God says something, it's crucial that you respond with an amen. Because that's your verbal signature on God's contract. I've said before, when, when somebody stands behind this pulpit and they say, God is going to send a revival to this church, don't you sit there silently. Because what's just happened is God just presented a contract and he said, here's what I'm offering to the truth church. But the only way the contract is good is if both parties sign it. And God can make every promise he wants to make, but he wants to know, do the people sitting on the pew agree with this contract? Do the people sitting on the pew believe what was just said? If they don't believe it. Now God's not going to lie to us. But I'll tell you this. He told the children of Israel they were going into the land of promise. But they couldn't all say amen. Only two out of the twelve spies said amen to the promise. Not with the word amen, you understand. But with their actions. With what they did say. We're well able. Let's go at once. That was their way of saying amen. But ten said, no way. Can't be done. And the people believed the ten. They refused to amen God's contract. So you know what happened? God let them wander for 40 years until those that didn't sign the contract died. And then when he brought them back, you know what he did? It's interesting to me. 
he told Joshua, he said, now during these 40 years that you've been wandering, there's been a lot of babies born. And you know, part of the covenant, the contract that I made with your fathers is this whole idea of, of circumcision. And God said, you're not going in until this generation signs the contract. And what he asked of that generation was not the exact same thing he asked of the first one. Because the first one had already practiced circumcision. He asked something different of the next generation. But I'm telling you, he kept his promise when they signed the contract. Hey, Truth Church, how many promises has God made to us over the last few weeks and months? How many things has God said to this church? I wonder if God's still just waiting to hear a few more amens. I wonder if God's still waiting to hear a few more people get on board and sign the contract. I wonder if God hasn't seen quite the response that he's hoping to see just yet. Listen to me. Almost 26 years ago, a real, genuine prophet of God stood, amen, in this church and said, God opened a door to us. But at the time, there just weren't enough people to sign the contract. And so just a few months ago, he sent another man of God by and made the promise again. I want to know how many of us in this generation are ready to sign the contract. I want to know how many in this congregation are ready to sign the contract. We're not going to be like the previous generation. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm so far off my notes. But it's interesting that the overwhelming majority of those who inherited the promises in the land of Canaan were brand new, relatively. I mean, some of them were 40 years old, but they had come along after, after the other generation had lost out. And had failed to sign the contract. The vast majority of those who inherited that promise were relatively new. However, in the midst of that crowd were a couple of fellas who had signed on originally. They were there in the beginning. In fact, Caleb said, I'm 80 years old, but I had a promise made to me, and I want you to give me that mountain. I've waited 40 years for this promise, but I didn't doubt it when God said it the first time. And I'm just as strong today as I was 40 years ago. Give me that mountain. Hey, Caleb, do you understand that's where the giants live? Yeah, I understand it, but I'm not afraid of the giants. My God is bigger than all the giants put together. 
I've got a promise that's bigger than they are. And I've got a God big enough to keep that promise. Oh, I'm preaching tonight. I'm telling you, we got to sign that contract. We got to let God know we're going to shout, Amen. I believe it, Lord. I'm going with you. I'm going to cross the Jordan. I'm going to inherit the promised land. I look around in this congregation tonight, and I see some faces that, thank God, signed on 25 years ago, and they haven't budged, and they haven't wavered, and they still believe the promises. Oh, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. And let me just say to you, let me just say to you, Brother Jerry, let me tell you. It doesn't matter that you're 25, 26 years older than you were then. Those promises you claimed a quarter of a century ago, God still knows. And he's still going to give you that mountain. It's still there, Brother Hilton. It's still there. It's still there. You may have only been three when it all took place. But you know what? There were some of them. They weren't all born in the wilderness. Some of them were born uh, because he said those that are 20 and over were the ones not going. So there were some that were there that were just under 60 when it came time to cross over. And so they, they'd waited a long time, but they were already alive. I mean, there were probably some 19-year-olds. So there were others that were young, and so there were probably some three-year-olds that were alive at that time, and God spared them and let them live until the promise. But God did bring the contract back around. And when the promise came back, it was up to the new generation to sign the contract as well. And I'm saying to you, church, if there's anything we got to do, we got to make sure every time we walk in this building, we're letting God know my name's on that contract, God. I signed it. And I'm going to sign it again tonight. And I'm going to sign it every time I hear it. I believe it with every fiber in my being. Everything you said is going to happen. Everything you said is going to come to pass. Every promise you made is going to take place. I believe it, God. Amen. There probably were some newborns that had to be carried across the Jordan. And they wouldn't even remember what had gone on in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't know the history. They didn't know about the murmuring and the complaining. They didn't know about all of that. They crossed over in their innocence 
Can I tell you, they inherited just as much. They inherited just as much. Their name was on that contract too. They inherited just as much. In fact, to circumcise, they only had to be eight days old. So there were probably some that were only eight days old. But they'd signed the contract. And so when it came time to divide up the land, they could stand in line and say, part of that's mine. I may have only been eight days old when we crossed over, but part of it's mine. I signed the contract. Well, hallelujah. Oh, children of God, I'm telling you tonight, every promise God has made, He is still the amen. He is still the faithful and true witness. Put that verse back up there, Sister Jasmine, if you would. He said, I am the amen. I am the faithful and the true witness. Listen, listen. This was a declaration of authority and finality. 2 Corinthians 1.20. I got to at least read a few scriptures here in the two minutes that I have left. Did you find it? I got it. All right. I was about to tell you where you could find 2 Corinthians 1.20. It's right after 2 Corinthians 1.19. <laughs> For all the promises of God in all, Him. Listen, listen, listen. All. Everyone say all. 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 Everyone say all. All. All the promises of God in, in him, him are yea. Are yea. And in, and him, in him, amen. Amen. Every promise God ever made. There's no maybe in God's promise. There's no perhaps in God's promise. Woo, hallelujah. All the promises of God in him are yea. And in him they are amen. said it's yay and it's amen so be it to the glory of God by us God's going to get the glory as he fulfills his promises as he uses us to bring about the fulfillment of that open door God's going to get the glory out of it You're caught up on your Bible reading. You're, 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 you're somewhere, somewhere around Ezra, Nehemiah, somewhere in there, somewhere in there right about now. All right, good. One or two, one or two's caught up. Where are the rest of you? Where are the rest of you? Where are the rest of you? Get that Bible chart out. Get to reading, get to reading, get to reading. Look, I created that chart so you'd have two days every week you'd get caught up. So you just you you just go ahead and if you if you 
way behind, you just start reading seven days a week, and you'll eventually catch up. That's why I built it that way. That's why I created it that way. So get that chart, get to reading. But, but here's what you find is no matter how much they fought against what Ezra and Nehemiah and, and Zerubbabel, no matter how much they fought against what those men did, in the end of, of the story, what you find is even the enemy said that they couldn't say anything against it for they knew that this was wrought of God. God's the one that did it. And I'm here to tell you, when God starts fulfilling the promises, I'm not going to get the glory. You're not going to get the glory. No individual is going to get the glory. It's going to be for the glory of God by us, but for the glory of God. We might be doing the work, but listen, we plant, we water, but only God can give the increase. I can't make the seed germinate. I can't make the seed produce. They've done a lot of things with technology. But they haven't yet put a fast-forward button on a seed. Put it in the ground, push fast-forward, tomorrow you got a plant. Doesn't work that way. In fact, there's a lot of seeds you put in the ground, they never grow. They never do anything. God's the only one. He's the only one that can make that seed germinate. So you know what? Our job is not results. Our job is to plant and water. And the reason why our job is not results is because then when the results come, we can't get any glory out of it. God's the only one that can. Because let's be honest, how many seeds have you planted that did not produce? I'm talking spiritually now. How many people have you talked to that, that it didn't do any good? They didn't seem to come. They didn't seem to accept it. How many times have you put the seed of God's Word in their heart and nothing happened? Well, listen, don't forget that when things do start happening. Don't start trying to take the glory yourself when things do start producing. Remember, you tried it before and it didn't work, so it's not you. It's God. It's God. It's God. It's going to be for the glory of God. And when this building is full, I said when, when this building is full. And when the next building is full. And when the third building is full. And when we've got campuses all over Kansas City. When that happens, not one of us needs to be so bold as to think we can take any credit for any of it. Because we tried, we tried, we tried, we tried. But now God is doing the work. All right, I used up my three minutes plus four. So let me give you one more scripture and then, and then, and then, then we're going to quit. can't stop while you're ahead, you know. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. Hebrews 6 and verse 18, listen to this. That by two that immutable by two, things. No, 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 wait. By two immutable. Immutable. Immutable is a big word. But if you look at the root, you understand this is the same root word as the word mutate. 
You know what it means to mutate? It's change. So if it's immutable, that means it doesn't mutate. That means it doesn't change. So he said there are two things that just don't change. In which it was impossible. It is impossible. For God to lie. For God to lie. Now get that, saints of God. Not God chooses not to lie. It's not that God has decided he won't lie. It's that God doesn't have the ability. Now, here's the reason why. I've said this before, but for those who haven't heard it, let me explain it to you. You see, right now, according to my watch, it's 9.06 p.m. And I really am nearly through. Musicians, come. That's all I can prove to them. I really am nearly through. Right now it's 9.06 p.m. I don't know what the temperature is outside. Fairly decent. 77. Thank you. I figured somebody could pull it up on a gizmo or gadget somewhere. 77 degrees, 9.06 p.m. Central time, Olathe, Kansas. 77 degrees outside. If I were to now stand here and tell you that it is 1.06 a.m. And it's minus 17 degrees outside. You would say that man is either a liar or he's sadly mistaken or he's crazy. Because we know those things aren't true. But if God spoke from heaven and said right now in Olathe, Kansas, it is 1.06 a.m. And it's minus 17 degrees. Do you know what would happen? Either the clock would go forward or it would go backward. And the temperature would drop automatically. When God speaks it, it becomes the truth. That's why it's impossible for God to lie. As soon as he says it, it may not be true before he says it. But once he says it, it becomes true. That's why he looked at an old man, 90 years old with no kids, and said, your name is the father of many nations. In that moment, it became the truth. That's why I'm saying to you, church, you can doubt it all you want to doubt it. But if you doubt, you're going to be like that generation that died in the wilderness. God has said he's opened a door to the true church. God has said he's going to give us souls. God has said there's going to be a revival. God has said it's going to rival Azusa Street. God has said he's going to do all of these things. I'm telling you, you can question it all you want. But God cannot lie. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands. Let's talk to the Lord, everybody. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. 